Good morning, good morning. Oh man, what a good day to be with God's people. Amen? How many know that when, when you're with, and when you're with God's people, you're in his house? You know, like we are God's house. We're living stones. Together we are the temple of the living God. Isn't it incredible? I don't want to miss, I don't ever want to miss an opportunity when I'm with God's people to just sit and think, uh, you know, just be appreciative and turn my heart over to gratitude and thank God for what he's done for us and what he's given us and the resources that he's given us. When we come into his presence with his people and, and we're able to experience him because he said, where two or more are gathered, there will be among them. Baby, would you come on up? My wife here is going to, she's going to get us started. This is Ashley. I call her baby. Just me calls her baby, you know. I'm the only one who's allowed to call her that, you know. Yeah. How many know that that seed, the holy seed that God plants in our hearts changes our lives, but it has a small beginning. There's a verse I really love in the Bible. It says, don't despise small beginnings. God loves to see the work begin. And he loves it. Although, although we might be discouraged or we don't see any difference happening immediately, God begins something in us that can change us forever. And it's little small moments. And I believe the greatest, most impactful moments of our entire life are the monotonous moments that we seem to feel nothing yet, but when we listen or, or, and we hear the word of God. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing the word of God. So would you, just, would you just open the ear of your heart and listen to the word of God? Now, Ashley, she's going to read, she's gonna read um, Luke 15 and verse 11. So you can go over there and get with her. But it's going to be about the prodigal son. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And I want you, I want you to consider, as we, as we uh, 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 talk about the prodigal son today, I want you to consider... The, the, the weeks that, that our pastor has been talking about shame and he's been talking about, uh, um, he's been really leading up for this, this day that we've all been looking forward to, preparing to. We're going to hear from some amazing young men in the young adults group. I tell you, the, I, I'm, I, me and Ashley are very blessed to be pastors of the young adults here. But I tell you what, we're even more blessed that the Holy Spirit is breathing on what we're doing. And, and it's, it's, it's really what he's leading us to do. I mean, it's just, it's his plan. He does amazing things and he uses his people. Um, so me and Ashley are very blessed. And um, I want to um, uh, thank uh, Miss Lisa for such a wonderful um, uh, uh, worship. That was just so incredible. It's just, you're so anointed. And so you lead us into incredible worship every single every single Sunday. And so um, if you would just turn your heart uh, to the attention to, 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 to the word of God, please. Ashley, would you go? To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want, to, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, his younger son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all of his money in wild living. About that time, his money ran out. A great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. 
The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his fingers and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Praise God. Praise God. Would you give a hand for Quentin, our first speaker? He's going to start us off today. Hallelujah. Is there joy in the house of the Lord this morning? I said, is there joy in the house of the Lord this morning? I better see a smile on every single face because you have the privilege to be in this house today. That's not a privilege granted to everybody in the world. So thank God for that privilege right now. I'm going to lead us off with a word of prayer, and then we'll get started. Father, I thank you. I thank you for bringing us here today. I thank you, God, for the freedom we have in this country to openly worship you and to hear your voice, to preach your word. Father, I pray that you would anoint me, anoint Justin, anoint Johnny to speak the words you want us to say, and I pray, God, that you would give these people ears to hear, God, and hearts to listen. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, uh, she read uh, the, the prodigal son message, and I'm here to give a little bit of context, set up the stage for Justin and Johnny. So uh, to start off with context, we actually have to look a little earlier in the chapter to uh, verse 1. Uh, you can't go any earlier than that. Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to him to listen to him. Both Pharisees and scribes began to grumble, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So who's the audience that Jesus is speaking to right now? He, not only is he talking to the tax collectors, the sinners, members of the Jewish community, community living in open rebellion to what they've been taught, he's also talking to Pharisees and scribes and teachers of the religious law, people who believe they are good, who believe they are righteous. So he's talking to open sinners and not so open sinners. He's talking to everybody. 
And so first he led off with this parable. After, after they asked, this man receives sinners and eats with them, he led off with this parable. What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open pasture to go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, and, le- and he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing, he returns home and he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found the sheep with w- which was lost. I tell you, in that same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now, the story that he's sharing right here, everybody in that room would have understood, would have agreed, would have understood the shepherd's action and the shepherd's emotion upon going out to find the sheep and then bringing it home. It's, it's a no-brainer. Like, if you're a shepherd and you have a flock of 100, and one of your stupid little sheep goes wandering away, of course you're going to leave the 99 to go find the one. Because number one, the 99 are safe together. But number two, the little one on its own is never going to find its way back. It was dumb enough to get itself lost. It will not be smart enough to bring itself back. So Jesus leads off with this, uh, this message about the, the, the lost sheep. And everybody in the audience is going to be tracking with him. Uh-huh, uh-huh, okay, I get you. Nothing, nothing surprising there. Then he goes on to another illustration. He says, Or what woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. So in that same sense, he shares a story about a, a lost coin, and I'll go more into that in a second. But this, this coin was very significant because in, in that time period, anytime a woman was married, she would be given a dowry of 10 uh, drachme, or 10 coins, and uh, these coins held uh, symbolic value for a wedding, similar to a wedding ring, they also held monetary value. A single coin was the equivalent of a day's wage back then. And they also held aesthetic value because typically the women would string them along their neck and you would see the ten coins and it was a symbol of her marriage. So by losing this coin, not only is she losing something of great monetary value, a day's wage, not only is she losing something of great sentimental value because of, uh, it's a symbol of her marriage, but she's also losing something of aesthetic beauty. Like if you were to lose a single earring, you would never think to wear the other one. You know? So she combs her house for this place. And get this, this is what really caught my attention. It says she lit a lamp to search for it, which means that she probably lost this thing in the evening or in the night. She didn't wait till the sun came up to go looking for it. She had to light the lamp and find it that moment. She wasn't going to wait any longer. She searched through the darkness to find her lost coin. So I'm telling you right now, the point, the point of these illustrations, it, Jesus is demonstrating the Father's love by telling these stories. I'll get more to that, that in a second. But now I'm going to take you to the context of the lost son. In Deuteronomy 21.17, it states, uh, that is the, uh, the precedent for the Jewish law, which states that the older son receives a double portion of the inheritance. And in this case, with only two sons, two-thirds of the estate would have gone to the older son, and one-third of the estate would have gone to the younger son. So 
Upon, uh, when the son, youngest son goes to the father and says, I want my share of the estate now, he would have received it upon the father's death. But what he's actually saying to the father in that moment is, I want you dead. I don't want you alive anymore. I want my things. I want my share. I want my cut. I don't want you. So it's the greatest insult. Everybody in that audience would have been tracking with the lost sheep, the lost coin, but when it gets to the story of the lost son, why on earth would the father have ever divided his estate to such an ignorant and insolent son? Why would he have done it? Well, let's read on. We'll find out a bit. The point of each one of these, these uh, illustrations, with the lost sheep, you have an ignorant animal who's too stupid to think on its own, and the shepherd goes to find it even though it was lost by its own foolishness and ignorance. See, a lot of, in, in man's thinking, we would look at that and we would go, oh, stupid sheep, we'll just let it wander away. Shows, we'll prove, uh, prove that it's so stupid, you know. But the shepherd leaves to go find the sheep that was lost by its own foolishness and ignorance. In the story of the lost coin, the woman combed the house to find this coin that was lost by no fault of its own. The coin didn't run away. The coin didn't intentionally fall off of her necklace. The coin was just lost, and it was in darkness, and she combed to find it. In the story of the lost son, the son made the active choice, I'm going to leave my father's house. I am going to reject my father's love, and I am going to go live by the standard that I want to live. The son made a decision based on his own free will to leave. So when the father actually let him leave, that is actually one of the greatest examples of the father's love because it shows more than anything that the father values a relationship with his son. Now, I know what you're thinking. He values a relationship, but he's letting the son actively walk away. What, what sense does that make? I'll tell you. It's because if the father were to keep the son against his will, it would not be a relationship anymore. The son would effectively be held a prisoner against his own will. So the father wanted a relationship, but he wanted the relationship that the son wanted. And so he couldn't have that relationship until the son chose to return to the father. So in all three of the stories, I want you to notice there's only one thing lost from the number. There's one sheep lost out of 100, one coin lost out of 10, one brother lost out of two. And in every single case, there is rejoicing upon the returning of the one. So Jesus was emphasizing the Father's love with the fact that if even a single sinner returns, heaven rejoices. More than 99 who are righteous, more than the nine coins that haven't fallen away. The Father rejoices over the return of even one son. I want you to think about this as well, that the Father openly welcomed back the lost son. The father openly welcomed him back. He didn't, he didn't berate him. He had, he had every right when that son returned to say, depart from me. You're not my son anymore. You're dead to me. He had every right to say that. But instead, not only when the son returned and asked for a job, did he say, I'm giving you a place back at the table. I'm making you a member of the family again. He also, he also threw a party for him. He threw a party for him that everybody was invited to. See, the father didn't impose his will, but instead he allowed the son's free will to come back and have a relationship with him. So I'm about to ask Justin to come up, but I want to, I want to leave you with this thought. God doesn't want anything from us more than us 
That's what he wants. He doesn't, he doesn't just want us to obey the rules like the Pharisees. He doesn't just want us to come back and be a servant in his house. He wants us to want him. He wants a relationship with us because that's the most valuable thing to him. That is more priceless than any coin that was lost. That is the thing that he treasures more than anything. What is that thing? It's you. It's you. Justin. Wow, that guy is a well of knowledge. Quentin Harrop, the, all the Harrop brothers are amazing, but Quentin Harrop is a deep well of knowledge. Uh, for such a young man, it's, it's a really inspiring to be around him. It truly is in our young adults. I just, I really just want to speak, like, my portion that I was, you know, really tasked with, like, in, in whole was really to talk about the unconditional love of the Father um, and really bring that home. And I was praying about it, and I was just thinking about it. You know, I was thinking about our church and how much I love y'all. And, uh, and it just got me thinking, you know, my journey and where I'm at, and you get to thinking that with the prodigal son usually, right? You think about like, oh, you know, he was, you know, he, he messed up. He took his inheritance and, 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 he, and he blew it and he felt bad. I, well, I messed up in my life and I felt bad and I felt shame. We had pastors speak on the habits of our life, right, that, that, that can influence, uh, you know, and allow shame to rule over the influence of our life, but also how to get out of that, right? He's, he's, he's taught us wonderful methods to get out of that. And he's taught us the importance that God is love and not just loves, right? He is love. And so in this story, oh, it's hard to sometimes, you know, even get out. Uh, the portion when the son returns, okay? He's realized immediately uh, when he's in the pig slop, which for Jewish people uh, is, is probably the most degrading and shameful place to be. Pigs are unclean animals. Um, they're, not, they're not meant to be eaten. They were commanded not to be eaten. Um, and so the idea that he's there in the pig slop, you know, and even thinking, oh, I'll eat, I'll eat what the pigs eat. I'm so hungry. It's so degrading. And his emotions fire a response in him. We learned about that and how emotions trigger those, those uh, responses in us and, and a call to action. And suddenly he was like, I'm sick of it. He's actually angry. He's so mad. He's, he's like, I'll go work somewhere, like, I'll go do something, like, anything, I'll go home to my father, you know, he doesn't even have to look at me like a son, I, I, didn't, I don't earn that, I didn't deserve that, but I'll work as a hired hand, I'll be a contractor, okay, I'll form a contract with my son, or with my, with my father, I'll go home, so he, here he is, I started thinking about it, and at first I was going to go on uh, a, a route of, like, man, I, I know uh, us, like, I know me, and I think about me, if I had messed up so bad to my father, to my dad right here, if I messed up to him, to my dad and my mom, maybe even to the church, right? Like sometimes that's sometimes the father can be a representation of the church or, or other people that just are authority of your life that you have a lot of respect for. Um, you probably wouldn't show up at daytime, right? Like to go home. You'd probably try to sneak in, maybe see if you couldn't get in touch with the older brother or somebody. Or somebody. <laughs> Wake up, right? Or somebody. And, and so you try to be a little bit, you know, on edge. I don't want my father to see me, maybe directly. I have an apology. I've been thinking and rehearsing in my head overnight as I slept. That's what the son did. He's like, I'm coming up with a script to say to my dad, I do feel bad, but really, more than anything, I'm hungry, and I just want to have some shelter that's better than where I'm at. 
Um, but I'll never be able to regain honor, so I'll just I'll try to work for it. Remember, uh, Pastor mentioned on shame will create that habit in us that will try to work for perfection to to strive to be perfect. Shame will just speak that over you. And I could imagine what the what shame was speaking on him as he was walking and taking steps towards you know a house he's familiar with, a home he's familiar with. Um, as he was walking forward and going, you know, this is, this is where I grew up. This is not going to work. I could probably, uh, you know, it, everything in me is telling me maybe to walk away. And I, he might have been thinking that right there at the steps. But it says, before he really got too far, his father saw him from a long way off. Here's something wonderful about that, that detail that Jesus is saying. How, what are the odds, right? I don't, think it's a, I don't think it's a coincidence thing. A lot of the films you might watch that are motivational make you, like, cry, like, make me sob like a baby, uh, where the father's, like, you know, he's looking out a direction, and then he looks away, and then the son comes up, and, like, he looks back, and he's like, oh, there he is! Like, you know, I don't believe that happened. I, I believe the father knew where he was coming. That's our God, right? That's our father. He knows where we are. Our time, our, our time here on earth is just... It's sand. It's nothing, right? It's such. It's so. It's so little. He knows it all, and so he knows those moments when we're going to be turned back to him, and he's looking for him, and he's going, "Ooh, he's going to come walking down that road right there." And when he does, I'm going to meet him. Not okay. Let's be real here. We love. We love you, and, and we value this church as a building. But the church is each one of you, and it's each one of you here today making the decision to be here in agreement today to receive a word. That's the chapel. It's not the building, the chapel. It's not uh, axiom, the building. It's, it's, it's a purpose. It's, it's a people, right? Um, and and it's, a, it's a unified heart and mind like Paul speaks about. When we unify together in the, in the name of Jesus and in the Holy Spirit. So in that, he's, he's seeing him and he's going, Here, you're going to come home. And he runs to him. He runs to him. Like actually runs to him. We were talking about it at, 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 at lunch. The idea of, of, of somebody maybe having to hike up their, their garments, right? Uh, and as a nobleman, that's not acceptable. Like, that's not, you know, for us, we're no big deal, right? We play football here in America, baseball. We get, you know, from a young age, we're running around. It's no big deal, right? That you, you wear shorts, right? <laughs> like, whenever it's hot out here in summer, you just wear shorts. You run. It's no big deal. But for him, garments, raising that up and running to his son, it's a big deal. Then the, the idea that he hugs him and, he, and, he's, and, and he's kissing him and he's showing affection to him and the, and the son's ready for an apology, he rehearsed. But he's not ready for his father to embrace him like that. And I know that's us a lot. We, we, uh, we, we're, ready, we're ready to rehearse an apology. Maybe, maybe you've done this before. Maybe you've prayed a prayer that someone has said, hey, repeat after me if you love Jesus. And uh, oh, I'm telling you, that's okay, but we're so scared of confrontation, right, uh, as people. So that fear sometimes will allow us to just do something like that and go through the motions and go, I know this. I've tried this. I've rehearsed this. And it works sometimes. No, but the Father's like, no, 100% of all the time, if you show up to me, I'm here. He's a Father that shows up. Jesus said in Matthew 18, 1 through, I'm going to read 1 through 4. I'm going to start actually at 2, because really at 1, he's just, they're asking like, you know, the disciples are, who's, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, right? They're doing that whole, who's going to be the greatest? And Jesus says, he called a little child over to him. I just imagine, you know, with the, with the kids over there uh, that Heath and May uh, raised, I just imagine someone like little Jacob or, or, or Nathan or even, even Malachi when he gets older or John Alexander when he gets older, right? Just running up to their dad or, or, or somebody, right? So the little kid running up to Jesus, and he, and he put the child among them, and he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like children, like children, it's important here, 
you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. When the father was running to the son, something that the Holy Spirit was revealed to me this morning, actually, um, what was he thinking? So when the son was thinking, oh, that's my dad, i got to rehearse what I'm going to say. We know that already. Here's what the father was saying. The father was saying, I see the purpose in you. I see what you were created for. I see you when you were a little child running around, and you were calling me daddy. I, I see you when you, were, <laughs> when you were making your mistakes, getting up and trying again, right? When that first time you, you rode your bike, anybody remember that? And your, and your dad helps you and, and, and tells you it's going to be all right, you can get back up there and you can do it. Or maybe for me, like the first time I compete in sports and I realized maybe I'm not good at this or I'm not good enough. But my dad goes, hey, you can do it. Get out there and go do it. You know, he just bolstered it and encouraged me, right? That's what he sees. He's seeing that. And he's looking at him and he's going, that's my son. And I'm going to run to him and I'm going to remind him who he is. How does he do that, though, quickly before he has a chance to, to allow shame to come back into him again, right? Before he has more words to spew out of his mouth about that he's rehearsed, that he's, he's, he's afraid and I'm sorry for what I did. The father says, get sandals on his feet. My son's without shoes. Get, get a robe that's a guest robe, a guest of honor robe, okay? Because we're going to celebrate him. But more importantly, I'm going to give him a ring, and it's our ring. That means he's got authority again. He came from a place where he's ready to eat pigs, like pig slop, right? And now he's got authority. That's us. That's us. That's, that's where we are, right? That's the unconditional love of the Father. I'm learning something right now. I'm taking a, an, an insurance adjusting class, right? We're learning about contracts, how to read contracts and stuff. And this just was like, wow, to me. Unconditional. What is unconditional? Well, let, let's start with what's conditional. On a contract, you have two sides. You have somebody who's willing to pay you out something uh, in insurance, right? And you have the person who is you know, paying for it, right? There's two conditions that have to be met. If something happens in the event of a loss, right? I'm just teaching you a little about insurance here. You're going to learn, <laughs> learn some free class. In the event of a loss, okay? In the event of a loss, somebody uh, uh, who has insurance is going to expect their, in good faith, their insurance to go ahead and pay for that. But now let's say you don't return the phone calls, right? You don't participate in your end of the bargain, uh, and you're not cooperating. Well, the insurance can make the decision to no longer cover you for that, right? They can back out. Hey, we're not going to pay you for that. So it's a condition that has to be met on both sides. Here's something interesting about us. There's no thing that we could do uh, to honor our commitment and, co and condition to him in the way he does to us because he has none so whatever it is that you think you you know if you don't hold up your end of the bargain or not he's I'm holding up mine let's go you know he's here with us he's, he's the one that says regardless of you not answering my phone calls regardless <laughs> of you not showing up when I'm there uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna reward you anyways when you come like when, when you're here when you're ready for it so I'm about to welcome up myself, uh, a dear friend, uh, Jonathan Velasco. And I, I just want to end in, in, in a simple thought. In the celebration that he had with his son, you know, the party in heaven when the angels are rejoicing and having a great time, it's, it's a wonderful thing, and it is for that one like Quentin mentioned. Uh, it, it is for you specifically. But man, that party in heaven, whenever they were rejoicing, he mentioned that he had to have the party, right, to the to older brother. And that's a thing, that, that's something that's a condition that the Father has set that he has made for himself, that each one of us, right, as, as believers, when we recognize someone that's coming back, maybe someone in our family that's, I don't know, maybe 
let's be real, let's get re- realistic, uh, a homosexuality, addiction, whatever that might be that's in, your, that's in your family, rooting around and you're praying for it and believing for it, when they come home, when they, when they receive Jesus, you have to celebrate with them, right? That's something that he's taught us. So in the same way that the Father, woo, power, I uh, love y'all, power, right? In the same way that he celebrates them, we have to celebrate, right? So I just want y'all to think about that, and I uh, love y'all. Jonathan, if you want to bring us home, man. I just want to say thank you, Pastor John and Pastor Gwen. I know she's out there with the children. Um, it is an honor. I know my mom's watching online. They got a Mexican preaching today. Come on. No, seriously, you guys, you, both of them did amazing, guys. Let's give them a round of applause. So I got to close it out. Um, can you guys hear me? Okay, okay. Have you ever found yourself running from God? I was on a phone with a family member last night, and I'm I'm not going to say who it was, keep her privacy, but she told me one of the toughest pills I believe to swallow in life is one of the hardest things to hear someone say, but she said, I can no longer do this anymore. I want to ask you again, have you ever found yourself running from God? While you're distant from God, maybe life was going pretty good. Maybe you got a raise. Maybe you doubled your income. Maybe you're making 50000 Now you're making 100000 You're making 100000 Now you're making 200000 right? You're getting along with your husband and wife. Everything's good. Maybe your kids got accepted to a four-year university. You got that car you've always wanted, that house you've always wanted. Everything's good. And all of a sudden, you find yourself in a situation, and you quickly realize, I can't get myself out of it. Not only do you realize you can't get yourself out of it, but you realize money can't get you out of it. And then you realize your doctor can't get you out of it. And then you realize not even your church can get you out of it. You need that one person you've been running from. Only God himself can get you out of that situation. See, we we truly don't realize we need our Father until we need our Father. We truly don't realize we actually need God until we actually need God. See, those situations and that phrase, I can no longer do this anymore, it's so tough. It's It's one of the most extreme things or situations to be in in life. But I believe (laughs) that phrase, I can no longer do this anymore, that situation, that phrase is one of God's most exciting phrases. 
Because when you say, when you find yourself in a situation saying, I can no longer do this anymore, what you truly are finally realizing, you're, you're truly realizing who you are. But most importantly, you're, you're realizing who he is. Come on. Hold on. Stay with me here. Okay. I want to I want to I want to jump right back into Luke 15 verse 16, but before I do that, I want to speak to your shame today. I want to speak to you if you've been finding yourself distant from your father. I want to speak to you if you've been wrestling with this shame every day, coming to church and acting like everything's okay, acting like just because you're in that car you've always wanted, that you're okay. I, I, I want to I speak to your shame today, that shame that's reminding you every day why you shouldn't go back to your father. That shame that keeps telling you you've went back to your father and you messed up. You've went back to your father and you messed up. I want to speak to that shame. Listen, it doesn't matter how many times you go back to God. It doesn't matter how many times you go back to your father. What's most important is that you do come back to God. What's most important is that you do come back to your father. Where does shame come from? Obviously, shame doesn't come from a loving father. And shame is not who you are. Shame comes from the enemy. Well, you might be thinking, well, why does the enemy want me? I'm full of shame. I'm distant from God. What, why does he want me? What's so good about me? What do I have to offer? The enemy is not worried about you personally. The enemy is not worried about you personally. The enemy is worried about who God has called you to be. In other words, the enemy is not trying to attack your current self. The enemy is trying to attack your potential self. See, we see that in the prodigal son. I want to jump into Luke 15, verse 16 real quick. The young man became hungry, so then even the pods that he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. He was, he was just in a situation where he, money wasn't a problem, and now he's in a situation where he's longing for what the pigs are eating. Again, we don't truly realize we need our Father until we need our Father. This next part is crazy. It says, and when he finally came to his senses. Hmm. When he finally came to his senses. Listen. See, him finally coming to his senses is what made him say, 
I can no longer do this anymore. I can no longer do this anymore. So if you've been wrestling and feeling like, God, I can no longer do this anymore. I've got good news for you today. You're headed in the right direction. You're headed in the right direction because you finally realized that you can no longer do this anymore on your own. You need your father inside your situation. He said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare, and here I am dying? When he finally realized I can no longer do this anymore is when he stopped looking at his current situation through his flesh eyes and started looking at his potential situation through his spiritual eyes. Mm. Have you been running from God? Have you been running from God? And like this son, you, you, you find yourself using this phrase, I can no longer do this anymore, this phrase that everybody's trying to act like they've never heard of. Like this, this phrase that everybody's trying to act like, I can't relate to you. Life is good for me. Have you been running from God? There's, tr there's so much truth behind that phrase. There's so much truth behind coming to your senses. It said when he finally came to his senses, what you're doing, what you're actually doing spiritually, <laughs> when you use the phrase, I can no longer do this anymore, what you're actually doing spiritually is you're waving a white flag and surrendering not to your shame. Don't let your shame lie to you. You're surrendering to your God. Mm, mm, mm. Woo! I'm preaching to myself here. Mm. See, in that moment, when you, again, I want to, real quick, when you realize I, me, myself, by myself, can no longer do this, like the prodigal son. I mean myself, by myself, have tried to do this, have tried my way, but I can't do it anymore. It's okay. It's okay. Because that exact moment, that exact phrase is what's going to turn you back into the loving father. And going back into the loving, loving father, what we see in the prodigal son is you are, you've already won. Verse 18 says, he says, I will go home to my father and say to my father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy. That's shame. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me back to, as a hired servant. While he was still, still a long ways off, his father saw him coming, full of love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him, and he said to him, Father, I have sinned against both you and heaven, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So the story goes on to say that they got him the finest robe, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. They killed the fattest calf they could find. They celebrated. For the son was dead and now has returned to life. 
he was lost and now is found. I want you to try to wrap your head around this story Jesus has given us to describe the love of the Father. After they gave him a robe and gave him some jewelry, the Bible says, and then they began to party? They began to party? was that? 30 seconds ago, this kid was starving to death. Everything was going bad for him. Everything. He was starving. He was getting his little apology letter ready for his father. And now they're partying? This is crazy. This is wild. I don't think he really understands the love his father has for him or towards him. Verse 25, the oldest son in the field was working in the field. Wow. He returns home. Here's music and dancing going on. You have to be partying pretty hard for someone to hear dancing going on. Come on. And he asked the servants, what's going on? The servants replied, your brother's back. We killed the fattest cow we can find. The older brother begins to get angry. Wouldn't you? It seems like the older brother is the only one thinking logical here. They should be celebrating the older brother. He's the one who stayed home. He's the one who was obedient. But what about celebrating the father? He's the reason both of these boys are living the life they're living in the first place. They began to party. Doesn't the father recognize what the son has done? Doesn't he know he messed up? Why is he celebrating? Doesn't he know that the kid was buying money with, that the father gave him and spending money on prostitutes? What is going on here? It's almost like, it's almost like the father didn't see what the son seen in himself. You know, the shame. It's almost like the father sees himself in the son. Look. I want to I, I come to a close here. The reason this story is so insane the reason this story is so insane, and it's hard for us as human beings to wrap our head around this story that seems to be illogical, is because what we're seeing is an insane love the Father has towards the Son. I believe the Father knew that the Son was dealing with some shame because a, a true loving Father knows when his son is dealing with something, when something's wrong. I believe he knew his son was dealing with shame. So that's why he said, quick, grab the robe, grab the ring, grab the sandals, put it on him. In other words, grab what belongs to me. I want to speak to his shame. I want to remind my son and his shame who he really belongs to. I want to, I 
I want to speak to his shame. I want to remind you. I want to remind you. I want to remind you who your father is. I want to remind your shame who your father is. last thing I want to say is if you've been feeling like you can no longer do this anymore that's because you finally realize that you weren't meant to do it on your own don't let your shame lie to you like this son and have you running from your father instead speak to your shame and tell your shame I know I can't do it anymore on my own. Tell your shame, I have read Philippians 4. Philippians 4 verse 13. For I can do everything by myself. No. For I can do everything through Christ. Through my Father. I can't do it, but through Christ I can. Through His unconditional love. He provides my every need. My every need. I can do everything through Christ, through my Father. Shame, I'm speaking to you. You, I can do everything through Christ, through my Father. You're right, not on my own, but through my Father who loves me and gives me strength. Last thing I want to say. Last thing I want to say. I want to end it by speaking to you. And if you're dealing with shame, I want to speak to your shame. When you sin, when you fall, when you feel covered in shame, listen, the most powerful place to be is enjoying the love of your Father. When, right, after you sin. Thank you. Man, wasn't that incredible? Will you just give another hand for these three gentlemen? It's exactly true what he said that that, that the most powerful place we can be in is an enjoyment with our Father because it doesn't the Word of God say that the joy of the Lord is our strength. It's absolutely true that without without enjoying our Father and the, 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 the way that He celebrates and loves us, the way that He so so wonderfully and tenderly gives, gives us our love, it, it really is where our strength comes from. Amen? Won't you stand with me? I don't know about you, but I'm thankful. I'm thankful for anointed men and women of God that minister to us, that take it upon themselves to get up early and to get ready and to, 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 to dive into God's word and, and to enter into fellowship with his spirit so that we can be ministered to. And there's coffee made. How many know that there's amazing ministers that just make sure that they make sure that we have everything we need, that we're comfortable, that we're celebrated every Sunday. If that's you, and I, I really believe any, it can be anybody here, and it is everybody here, that 
There's a part of us where we say, just like Jonathan said, there's something in me that maybe I'm not completely, I'm not completely upfront with God about. Jonathan's so right. There's a part of us that we always keep, we keep to the side, or, or we think, well, maybe God can deal with me over here. He can deal with me here with my family, but at work, you know, Jonathan's right. There's these places that we, you know, we kind of sneak in, like Justin said, at the nighttime, you know. But he's so good. He lights up the lamp and he's looking for us, sweeping the house, searching for us. You know, the greatest thing you can do is be found and celebrated by your, your father who loves you. Would you just let allow your heart to stop listening to shame and to be thankful for the love of your father? Why don't you pray with me? Jesus, we love you so much. And we're so thankful that when you, when you saw us from a long way off, you came running came running. Father, we're thankful that even though we don't pray the right prayers sometimes, we've got it all rehearsed. We think we've got it figured out. And just when we think we know you more than anybody else, you surprise us as a loving Father, extending your grace and your identity and, and, and you break these, these false mindsets of shame that we have about ourselves. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I ask that you would simply help us to see ourselves the way you see us. We can't do it anymore. Not alone. So, Father, we, we, we submit ourselves to you as sons and daughters. Help us to be obedient. Thank you, Father. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I want to remind you about an opportunity to give on your way out. Um, it, it's a wonderful day to be at church and to be with God's people. I want you to be encouraged as you go. And remember that God, no matter how far you feel like you've gone from him, or just like the older brother, he just thinks, man, there's all this that God's doing without me. It's never too late to celebrate the love of the Father. Thank you all. Y'all have a wonderful day.